Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's going to be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're going to hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk. Nope. we got to sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal, guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Hey, Emily. Here we are again, Brett. What are you doing right? What are you doing right now? <laughs> well, I've got my pen and my paper, and I'm excited. I've written down some questions, some notes. I have uh, a beautiful friend on the podcast today, and I'm very excited about that. What if I told you we were going to Australia? What would you say? Oh, don't tease. <laughs> but I'm don't tease that we're going to Australia right now. Okay, in our podcast. Yeah. We're visually in Australia, and Australia is visually in Texas. Right. Isn't that cool? <laughs> technology. It's very cool. What we can transcend now through technology. technology. I I am excited to introduce our listeners um, for the Jesus Said Love podcast to a dear sister, to a friend, to a soldier in the face, in the faith, um, and in the face. You've been in my face, Bronwyn. <laughs> <laughs> a soldier in my face <laughs> in the faith. Um, you are you are relentlessly hopeful. You are um, really someone who fights for others in a way that is so tender. And um, I just cannot wait for our listeners to hear your voice. Um, and more importantly, to hear your spirit, to hear your wisdom of what you need and and are bringing into the world and into the space right now. Bronwyn Healy is on the podcast today, and she is the founder of Hope Foundation and Lovewell Cafe. She's going to talk about um, some of that journey and process. She's also a survivor advocate, a survivor leader. She has literally turned her story of pain and continues to turn her story of pain into purpose. Um, and as I said earlier, she is relentlessly hopeful. Um, so you will not let her, you you will not be able to take hope from this chick's hand. <laughs> not an ounce of it. And um, I'm so excited. Welcome Bronwyn Healy to our show. Yeah. Welcome from the future. I know. I'm in your future. I'm in your future in Australia. <laughs> you are in my That your day will end well today and tomorrow is a brighter day. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Thanks for having me, beautiful oh, human. We're so, we're so excited. So, mm. Bronwyn, tell our listeners, they may not be familiar with who you are and your work in the world, what you've done in your past, what you're doing in your present. So just give us kind of a big level view of, of who you are, of, of what you do, what you've done, what you're doing now. Today, um, I introduce myself as a um, 45-year-old looking way younger than that human <laughs> who um, courageously solo parents three phenomenal teenage daughters who are age 15, 17, 19. Um, I, if I was to have a business card today, I would write on it, I am a freelancer for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I am full of relentless hope. That hasn't always been my story. It's the season that I'm in. I'm learning the art of stillness and rest and recovery from a car accident that I had last year. And it has changed my heart, my life, and my story. I'm realizing that just as I am, just as a being, just as a woman is enough. Um, but I say that now after a full life. Mm -hmm. So um, my backstory basically in a nutshell was born to an alcoholic dad. When I was three, he got sober through a self-help program that he would now say 42 years later, he realized there's a huge difference between being clean and sober and being free. Um, 
He's never walked in freedom, he would say, and he's watched me do this journey over the last 21 years as a believer and he's noticed the difference, which is pretty powerful in itself. Um, When I was 13, we moved from one state of Australia to another and um, I didn't love it and I didn't know myself. By the time I got, I changed schools and by the time I got to the end of that, um, my last year in high school, two weeks out from the end of that, I knew I had the grades to get to uni and I ended up smoking pot and then tried pot and then tried speed and ecstasy and cocaine and barely scraped through my first year at uni and then fell into a relationship with a guy who was a heroin addict. I was Mm -hmm. 18 years old, Um, got pregnant, was living a super selfish life, so decided to terminate that pregnancy. And no one told me the guilt and shame that might come Mm. after that. And so I felt guilty and ashamed and I wanted to be numb. And the only thing that I knew that would make me numb was what was making him numb every day. And I tried heroin and I used heroin between 18 and 24. And in the midst of that was, you know, growing my own drugs, selling my own drugs, crime, um, and eventually got fired from my job and the only thing I had left was my body and I ended up working in the sex industry for 12 months. Mm-hmm. I tell my story in lots of different places and have done so for the last 18 years and one of the saddest parts of telling this story so many times is the amount of people that come up after you've told it and they're like, so you said you worked in the sex industry only 12 months but 12 months isn't very long. And you, like, you're like, <gasps> 12 seconds is too long. Mm. Yeah. Like I was somebody's daughter. <laughs> like I wasn't just a as yet then unknown daughter of the king, the creator of the universe, but I was my mum and dad's daughter. Mm. You know, I was selling my body and soul to strangers for money and mm. doing all sorts of ridiculous things mm. for extra money. And um, I ran away from the industry and vowed to myself that I'd never go back and couple of years later still messed up on drugs but vowing to never go back because I knew that the industry was going to kill me Mm. Um, I ended up in adopted surgery at the age of 24 and he told me that um he didn't think drugs were my problem which they were I was using up to a thousand dollars worth of heroin a day and I weighed like you know 90 pounds and I looked and felt and smelled like death warmed up and he said that he thought my problem was I had a hole in my soul and Jesus could fill and wow. your doctor, my doctor. Wow. It's not PS. It's not legal in Australia for him to have said that to me. It's <laughs> not like how they roll over here. It's like, I tell the story people like, is he legally allowed to do that? I'm like, <laughs> no, he's not. Um, and I very colorfully told him what I thought he could do with what he thought Jesus could do for me. Yeah. And I went to a rehab that he didn't tell me was run by Christians Mm. And I was rude, obnoxious, rebellious, angry, violent. I, they made me go to church and I would stand outside the door and blow cigarette smoke in the building to annoy the shit out of all of them. <laughs> like, I love and, it. You know, cookies and cake and, like, come in. And I was like, no, I'm not your sucker. Like, no, it's not happening. No. Yeah. And I guess, you know, intro, I'm today on the Jesus Said Love podcast, so somewhere between that hard ass <laughs> to go inside church. And now as a 45-year-old, you know, something changed. And it was six weeks into the program. It was pouring rain. I didn't realise it because it was a conspiracy from heaven, you know. Mm-hmm. And I walked inside the building and the pastor preached a message I didn't understand. He was speaking what I call Christianese, which mm-hmm. I hate. Mm-hmm. And um, still hate. <laughs> never got the never got that textbook. Um, and he got to the end, and he just basically was like, "If anyone in here needs forgiveness for your past, a brand new life today, and hope for your future, I'd love you to come to the front." And I literally sat there, and my brain was like, "Who the freaking heck would do that?" It's. <laughs> and the next, day I was at the front of the church, looking him in the eye. And he's like, so do you want to say a salvation prayer? And I was like, I do not know what that is. (laughs) How do you know when you're a messed up, drug-addicted, prostitute woman with anger issues, you don't know what a salvation prayer is, right? So I repeated (laughs) a prayer I didn't understand, apparently got saved, whatever that meant. (laughs) 
Saved from what? What about yeah. saved from? Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, what? <laughs> saved from myself? I don't even know. I didn't even know that I needed that. So that's been a 21-year journey that I'm still on. And um, and then I just looked him in the eye and I said, I don't really understand what just happened, but can I say my own prayer? Mm. He looked at me and he was like, please, basically, please don't cuss your way to heaven. I was like... <laughs> I didn't realize I already had the ticket. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> and um, I basically said, if everything these people have told me about you is true, but more importantly, if everything they've shown me about you is true, then I dare you to take me. And I didn't realize mm. obviously had. But it's one of my favorite things about my story has been the humans in my life that have shown me kindness. And Em, it's what I love about you. It's why you and I connected. It's why I love Jesus said love. It's mm. why I love the 1500 on one day when we're allowed to travel again, I will be there. Mm. Um, I've been married twice and divorced twice. Um, and for a young, you know, 45-year-old life, that's big, that's hard. It's hard to process. Um, I've solo parented the girls most of their life. That's big. That's heavy. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Bronwyn, there is so much, so much in, I mean, 21 years when we look at, you know, what is a life if it's not made up of moments? I mean, really a life is made up of these moments, the the ugly, the beautiful, the transformative. And you have just given our listeners this journey from, from the time you were born to, to who you are now. Um, as we, as we talk about your life in terms of what it means to overcome abuse and really to survive um, what we defined last week on our podcast as narcissism. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you look at knowing? Um, my first question. Okay, let me ask it this way: Do you consider yourself an empath? One hundred million percent. Okay, and would you define in your own words what is an empath? I've done a lot of healing. You know, man, you know, I've done a lot of healing in the last two years. So I would no longer call an empath a sucker, which is how I felt this time two years ago. Um, an emotional sucker, um, a sucker who'd been bled dry. I would no longer call me that. Mm. I now realize that an empath is a gift to the planet. Mm. The deepest of feelers, the kind of human that really fully truly sees someone and really fully truly loves deeply Mm. their love is their love is fierce my love is fierce it's kind um I guess one of the things I've learned in the last two years is that I've spent a lot of my 45 years of life with you know so many abusive people around my story I've been one of them I I can be one of them right you know but when I look at my story I've spent a lot of my life honoring other people to the dishonor of myself Mm. say that again will you just say mm -hmm. that again (laughs) I've spent a lot of time in my lifetime honoring other people to the dishonor of myself Mm. and I've learned in the last two years that that's not holy love. That's not helpful love. That's not, you know, like honoring other people to the dishonor of myself is not doing me any favors. Um, when someone tries to make you be a shallower version of yourself so that they feel like a bigger person, mm. that's doing the world no favors. Um, so I've drawn a lot of lines in the sand in the last couple of years that have made me um, probably a slightly more isolated human. Um mm a slightly more guarded human, but also a wiser one. And I think my love has become more deep <laughs> mm. and more fierce. And those now on the receiving end aren't just the everyday, every human. Now mm. the ones on the receiving end are the ones that I choose to love. Can you look back at your life and can you look back at your story and identify um, moments in your life where you, as, even as a child, like what is an empath? look like as a child 
Yeah, I. Um, it's funny that you asked that question. It's beautiful that you asked that question. Actually, I probably in the last 12 months, um, you know, face the joys, the joys and the lows of Facebook. But one of the joys was um, a friend request from literally my best friend from kindergarten. And I still remember, you know, we were four years old and I still mm-hmm. remember it. And he remembers it. And we were sitting we were in the playground, you know, people playing in the sandpit and this little boy had an asthma attack mm-hmm. and he went to sit on the edge of the sandpit and nobody stopped. Nobody, every, everyone was, they were just doing their thing. And I stopped what I was doing and I saw him and I went and sat with him and I put my arm around his shoulder and I was bit, literally like, I'm here. Like I am with you as a four-year-old. Wow whose dad had been an alcoholic until I was three and a half. And so I had seen and heard and felt a lot of pain and a lot of abuse and a lot of um, aggression in the atmosphere. So the fact Mm. that I had that kind of heart then, and he still remembers it 41 years later, um, that was always me. It was always eyes out for the underdog, Mm -hmm. for the underdog. Um, Yeah, and I think that's been my whole story. It's, mm. it's how and why I fell into drugs and how and why I fell into to sadly dead-end relationships that ended in divorce. Like it's, yeah. Do you feel like part of that giving of yourself away and even in the things that you have tangibly built and birthed, right, like organizations, enterprises, like you've done some remarkable things with your life. Um, Can you also look back and while nothing is wasted, right? Nothing at all is wasted. Can you look back and say, I I gave away to the dishonor of myself, even in the things that I was trying to do on behalf of others? How do you, how do you look at the things that you, I guess, have done with your life, knowing the the, both the blessing and the gift and also um, the painful shadow side of, of what being an empath can look like. Yeah. I've done it again. I've spent a lot of time in this um, rest and recovery season reconciling. Um, one of the biggest things, I guess, for me too, I'm an Enneagram 2 PS. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I was destined for this life. So. <laughs> yes yes I mean yeah let me just keep giving until I have nothing left in my tank no more but um I think for me when I look back over my story one of my biggest choices um really since coming out of the sex industry and you know learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus and follow the you know prompts of Holy Spirit is I don't want to live with regret Mm. I don't want to live with regret I think regret is a killer. Mm. I think regret is a hope killer and I can't live that way. You introduced me. I'm relentlessly hopeful. Mm -hmm. And you journeyed with me through some really tough, really shit, really Mm -hmm. hard, I didn't think I could breathe Mm -hmm. seasons, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me now when I make the choices that I make, it's you know, no matter who we let into our home, no matter who we have around the table, no matter who I invest in or sow into over the last 21 years, I just don't want to live with regret. Mm. And so there's always lessons to learn every time you give more than you potentially should have. Did you really or did you show, did you still lead that person in the ways of goodness? Mm -hmm. Feel more goodness than that person's ever seen before. Is there something, not that that, there's a lot of people that will never remember my name. Yeah. You know, it's like it could be someone at the local Target, at the local fuel fuel station, you know, gas station, and I see them. And, it, man, I'm telling you, if they're wearing a name badge, they're basically my friend that didn't know yet. And, it, like, my kids are like, Mom, not everyone's your best friend. I'm like, they don't know that. <laughs> like, <laughs> they do not know that. And the power of being seen mm you know, and, and known even in your moment where you can be at Target and you say to the checkout person, you know, hey, Sally, how are you? And Sally yeah. looks at you and she's like, I'm okay, thanks. 
and looks down and you're like, it's okay not to be okay. And that could be it. How long is Sally going to linger with that? Mm. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I think I've just made a decision to not regret good, bad mm. and choices that I've made. So bringing um, acceptance into those spaces of even, even when you gave so much that it hurt and that it cost you, you can now look back at those and bring acceptance and awareness into those moments. Yeah. And not beat myself up for them. You know, I've learned to be kinder to myself. Yes. Um, and the grace and the gentleness and the tenderness that I've always shown the other people on the planet. Yeah. I'm learning to show that to me. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, yeah. You are, as I listen to you, um, you're also a narcissist dream. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Right. Like, like, the craving of the narcissist is to to be adored, to be seen, for for for, for to reflect themselves. Really, for a narcissist, you're really only valuable if you're reflecting them to themselves because they've they've fallen so deeply in love with a projected image of themselves um, that they really can't see you for who you are and all your beauty and all your essence and all your glory that you're doing in the world. They just want to see themselves. So how, what does that feel like? And how do you unplug when we had uh, Chuck DeGroote on the show, we talked about unplugging from the narcissist. So, you know, you've been married twice, you've been divorced twice. Um, you've had relationships that clearly people took more from you than, than you wanted to give, um, for themselves, maybe even took some things that were yours in the beginning and made them their own and wanted them for themselves and their own glory. How do you unplug from the narcissist who are so attracted to you? Narcissist dream is one thing I definitely will not be putting on a Truth Collective t-shirt, but it is correct. <laughs> and I, I'm sorry, B. And I'm glad I love oh, you. Oh, I love you too. And I said, I'm only having this conversation with you and Brett because I trust you. So, and I have five pages of notes from that um, podcast. I know. Um, podcast, like literally, like, hello, amazing. Wow. I think... <laughs> I think that it was only recently, uh, my second marriage to a narcissist who obviously wouldn't say that he was one and may want to listen to this and be very surprised um, that I think that, still think that. Um, I think I didn't realise until I literally was laying on a bathroom floor in my house with my three daughters feeling like I couldn't go on. And I couldn't breathe that the human that I am, the deep feeling, you know, authentic, kind, tender, generous believer in impossible things every day. Um, mm. I didn't realize the power of what had happened until I had become more like him than mm. I was myself. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Bronwyn, this is so big. Brett, do you have questions? I know, I, you know, I'm, I'm just, just asking I'm just, all the I'm just enjoying watching you guys. Bronwyn, you are so beautiful. Like you're just beauty is mm. flowing. Through. I wish you all out there <laughs> in podcast land could see this voice with these eyes and these glasses. And it's just beautiful. So y'all just keep going. I'll chime mm. in when I <laughs> You just like my accent. I think that's well. Then there's that. I mean, you can just you know, talk the whole if, time, as far as I'm concerned. If I could become a specialist in all the fields, you could just hook me up all the time. You know. Um, <laughs> I think um, the and Brett. You know, there was one day I was sitting in my counselor's office, um, 
um, we'd already separate. We'd only been married um, eighteen months. We were separated under the same roof by this stage. He had fiercely rejected all three of my girls after vowing to love them, and they'd watch me be rejected by someone who had vowed to love me. And we were all heartbroken. We were living in this corporate heartbreak. And um, sleep. I was sleeping on the couch because it was the only room. He wouldn't leave the room, bedroom, and it was the only room of the house that the girls could come out of their rooms to go to. So I was like, well, I'm not having him out there because we need to be there. And I remember going to the counsellor, my counsellor, um, and just saying to her, I'd known her 12 years. We've done a lot of journey together to navigate and plow my way out of the depths of my story and she sat with me and she just looked at me and she said I want you to ask basically I want you to ask Holy Spirit for a way to tell you what has happened because I could tell you as a counselor what has happened you could read I could send you to another book about what's happened you could ask how the freaking heck did I get here again or you could ask Holy Spirit what he's saying to you because that'll help you own your decision and your space. And I did, and I felt like Holy Spirit was clear with me. I saw a picture of an ocean. And, you know, I'm a deep-sea dweller, man. I live out beyond mm-hmm. the waves. Like, you know, we sing that song, Dancing on the Waves. Like, I'm like, yeah, I do that, and I'm out beyond. And I'm floating, and I'm staring at the sky, and I'm in love with my creator. And that's where I live. And I saw a vision of me laying literally laying on the shore and I was parched like you know the driest of mouths and nothing could have satiated me and it was literally like I have become a shallower version of myself to make myself more palatable for this human but nothing's ever going to be enough I can never I can never become the shallower version of myself that makes him happy Mm. and in that moment it was like do I want to make him happy anymore Mm. like I was living in this heartache and wonder of being so held by the creator of the universe and so broken I couldn't believe I'd given my heart to someone who had presented a version of themselves that wasn't sustainable for him Mm. I, I do believe that the person he presented that he you know, that I married um, is the person that he potentially, hopefully, somewhere deep down wants to become one day. If he ever does, it's not to benefit me. It would benefit him and hopefully his daughter and whatever his life looks like in the future. But I had to make a decision was, am I going to stay in this? You know, the Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And my counselor was like, when he says he loves you, he he does. Right? When the Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, when you're a human and you say to someone from your level of belief about who you are and how you, how you love, Mm -hmm. I love you. Sometimes tears Mm. welling up in your eyes. That is so Mm. profound. Mm -hmm. That is how he loved himself, which Mm -hmm. is a broken unfulfilling, not sustainable love to carry. Yeah. Mm. And, and it is not a love that is grounded in, in that, um, giving yourself away. It's a love that is protective and, um, supports your own ego fixation. I mean, it's a love that, that protects your ego, protects your, your shame identity is, is ultimately, what that kind of love What's does. A, hold on, I got a question. Was there a moment yeah. that he switched or was it a progressive, like you fell in love with this man who presented one way and then, you know, two years down the road, it's all of a sudden, who is this narcissistic asshole? Like, I mean, was it, you, was it progressive or was it just a moment? I think it was a slow fade for me. <clears throat> Not so much for mm-hmm. my um three daughters who have a really great bullshit radar. Um, mm-hmm. It was fairly instant for them. And it would been in a long distance relationship. And then he moved to my state. We got married straight away and went on a, you know, five week mm-hmm. honeymoon to Europe that 
um, had been, you know, an ideal dream for me. And, you know, I'd, my daughter had had a dream years ago that I would go to Paris on my honeymoon with a husband who really loved me and I would have long, dark hair. Hello. I'm still, you know, Mm. (laughs) and, um, the week that we, the week that we, the day that we landed in Paris was the week of the Paris floods and it rained the whole time. And I realized there, I was like, I'm going to need to learn how to dance upon disappointment in a new way. And I didn't want to believe that it had set me up for a future of relationship of learning to dance upon disappointment in new ways. But it was like, I can't believe this dream I've held, this imagination that I've had. Like I was, had been on my own uh, raising the, the girls for nine years. I hadn't been looking for a man. No man had, you know, asked me on a date. I'd never, I thought I was waiting well. And I Mm. fell in love with this presentation of a human that wasn't sustainable. And I think the slow fade for me was almost harder, Brett. Like it was like what a dickhead. I felt like such an idiot. I felt Mm. like, and it was like, what more can I do? How much more can I love? How can I, how can I fix this? This was Mm. meant to be a fairy tale and it had turned into a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. How do you continue to both now, like in present day, how do you hold out hope for the miracle, for what we know can be resurrected out of pain? And we do believe in that miracle. And yet also hold out the fact that, um, in other words, there are there is an ordinary, there's an ordinariness to love as Mm. well. You know, like it's not all like the sustainable love that we're after that the, the real fairy tale is that, is that we're able to, to dance, as you said, on disappointment, that life is filled with, with disappointment. And that somehow in this relationship, we learn to both hold pain and beauty and, suffering and miracles, um, all together. Like, do you still hold out hope for that? Or is it so easy for you to say it's the fairy tale is all a hogwash. Um, the love is, is not existent that I want. Did you have to reframe what a fairy tale looks like? What love looks like? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Um, there's a quote from the Um, perks of being a wallflower that says we accept the love we think we deserve Mm. and I didn't realize that I had accepted something that wasn't as deep as me and so the feeling Mm. that I've had to do since we finally separated in June 2018 and got divorced in June 2019 and then I had a car accident in August 2019 and kind of got um, semi-politely squeezed out of my own organization a couple months later. And so I have dealt with a lot of um, betrayal, um, mm-hmm. bullies um, and pain, brutality, really brutal pain in the last 18 months, two years. And when you tell it in like even just, <clears throat> excuse me, that short succinct sentence, it's like, holy shit, Bronwyn, how are you still breathing? Right? Mm-hmm. But if we accept the love we think we deserve, then I needed to learn to love me in a better way. I needed to learn that when God whispers to you, I make beautiful things out of the dust, but they have to become dust first. Mm -hmm. That that included me. That wasn't just my hopes and dreams. And um, I love your question. One of the things that I've realized in the last six months I've been doing this um, incredible life-transforming program session thing on Tuesday night Mm -hmm. full of profits, Mm -hmm. and it's all been all about identity and receiving Father's love. And what I realized in that time is when I, on that day in August 1999, when I became a follower of Jesus and said the prayer twice because I didn't know how much I needed it, you know, I accepted Jesus as the lover of my soul. He became my best friend. Not once in the last 21 years have I ever walked alone through the good, the bad, the ugly. Not once. I can sense him close. I have a really sweet connection to him. And I also got baptized in the Holy Spirit on that day. So I've learned to be a follower of the Holy Spirit. And Mm. I didn't realize that because of all of the shit with my own dad. And then, you know, when you're in the sex industry and people are paying you money to have sex with your body and your soul, 
you could be a man hater, you know, and I'm not. Mm. And I've been married to two men who love themselves more than they love me and, and my family. Um, mm. And I still don't hate them. And Brett, thank you for being one who even your comment mm. to me sees me. Mm. I know that you have a default love for me because of Emily's love for me. <laughs> but Emily, I, <laughs> Emily's heard me say to her, I, you know, one day I'll meet you <laughs> and I'll get to on you face to face. But thank you for loving mm. my friend, loving me by default, yeah. loving the women of Jesus said love and all of the women that you stand for. You're standing in the gap for us and you are speaking truth and you just did it for me and something shifted in my heart and I believe it's another in my healing process so mm. thank you my friend um <laughs> i realized yeah break <laughs> break i realized in this process you know i'm a romantic at heart mm. i am yeah. it's who i am sure. it's who i am and i started to hate that part of me because the romantic mm. part had let in these people who had hurt me and hurt my kids and I'm rediscovering a deeper part of me. You know, when your 17-year-old brings you a bunch of red roses just because she knows you love fresh flowers and they speak deep love, I'm allowing myself to love myself in a way that I never knew was possible. I'm being kinder to myself. I'm being kinder to my body. I'm learning about whole foods and essential oils and yin yoga and breathing and taking my shoes off and standing on the grass. And um, I'm learning the art of stillness. And someone who yeah. lived at such a high capacity, you know, I was the founder and ran a not-for-profit here in Australia for 14 years. And we ran a social enterprise cafe that had 18 staff. And, you know, we had, were serv serving and loving over 100 women across the nation of Australia. And I'm a writer and a speaker and a, you know, and a mum, hello, to three kids on my own. Um, <laughs> when you tell that story, it's like, how the freaking heck have we survived? <laughs> you know? Right. And, so, and yeah, at some learning, point, um, at some today point. says the word enough, learning that me just as I am, that's it. Mm. Yes. Yeah. At some point, um, we are required to, uh, our, our literal physical bodies make us mm. rest. They make yeah. us because our bodies are the mm. temple of the spirit and the spirit will shrivel up and it will try to bust out and it does it in all of these ways. And if it has to grapple at the body, it's like outcries of going, give me rest, give me rest. And it sends us all these signals. That's like, I need more space. I need more attunement. I need more love. I need more care. And so it sounds like that the accident was this catalyst for you to completely unplug. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that many empaths and many healers in the world who are often attracted to narcissists, and Chuck talks about this. If you go back and listen to it, it's really, really fascinating the way that, that this kind of duo kind of plays with one another, the romantic, the, the servant, the, the empath, the one who is called to be sensitive and attuned mm -hmm. to, and the one who loves themselves and loves to see themselves other than human. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a narcissist does not want to be human and humans have to mm -hmm. rest. And so one way that empaths unplug from the narcissist as they begin to rest. Yeah. And then the narcissist is not mm -hmm. happy. Whether that's a narcissist system, you know, the church isn't happy because Betty's not bringing the cookies anymore that mm -hmm. she said she was going to do. Mm -hmm. And she's not showing up to teach all the Sunday school classes. And what on earth does she think she's doing? She's not serving like mm -hmm. Jesus. Or the PTA isn't getting what they need out of the volunteer mom. Whatever this system, or if it's a marriage, or if it's a person, and, you know, at some point whether it's accident, sickness, our bodies crying out, we've just, we've got to rest. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about 
what you are doing to rest. You mentioned a few things. What are you doing to rest? What has stillness and stopping revealed to you? Mm -hmm. It has been the most intense unraveling and a process of unbecoming. Um, I didn't realize that I, you know, even when you introduce yourself, it's like, hi, I'm Bronwyn Healy. I'm the founder and CEO of Hope Foundation. We run Social Enterprise, The Love All Project. I'm the author of Trophy of Grace and I Have Issues, Don't You? And I also solo parent three kids and I do this and I do this and I do this. And I have learned the art of being overdoing. And, you know, the, you know, the infamous verse that even brand new believers and followers of Jesus, people that get saved, know, be still and know that I'm God, right? And it doesn't say do still. Don't make stillness a thing mm. that you tick off your box every day. Oh, holy crap, mm. it's 10 p.m. Have I done my stillness today? Let me just set a timer for five minutes because now I'm so freaking exhausted that if I'm not in bed in the next five minutes... And so people do stillness, but they don't be stillness. And that used to be me. Hey, don't nobody feel condemned. I am talking to myself. (laughs) That used to be me. It used to be like, oh, shit, I need to like lay on my Shakti mat and like find my den (laughs) for five minutes before I jump into bed and hopefully don't have nightmares about how busy my life is. And now I don't. And it, it's taken courage and it's, a, a, you know, um, I got to the end of my time with Hope Foundation and literally the, basically the board were just like, you know, we can't afford to pay you and you not work. We don't know how long your recovery is going to be. I mean, here I am 14 months later and I still have two bulging discs and live with chronic pain. So good thing they did wait for me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it was literally like, we can't afford to do that. I I get it. I was the chief fundraiser for 14 years. I know that they can't do that. And so it was literally like a decision process of, do I fight for my place there Mm. or do I choose me? Mm. Boy, run when do I fight for my place where I'm doing, 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 do I fight for my place there or do I fight for me? That's really good. Because aren't we all fighting for these places that ultimately may not be fulfilling us? And the beauty of choosing me is I didn't even know who I was then. You know, it's been a 12-month journey of there were so many broken pieces on the floor of my life that allowing him into those cracks and those wounds and that dust, he is slowly but surely making beautiful things out of the dust and realizing he's not in a hurry he's not in a hurry he's not he, he's literally we live by faith now it's wild and I know the whole world is with COVID but it is wild to me that we still live in the rental property that we lived in before we probably eat better than we did before I eat more whole foods like how am I buying more blueberries now living by faith than I did on a, on a wage, on, an, on, a, on a salary. How? how? Um, I handed back my car. I handed back my laptop. I handed back my phone. A week later, a friend gifted me this brand new MacBook Air, um, said God told him that I'm a communicator and I need to be writing. And if I didn't have it, I couldn't be doing this podcast today. So yay. Um, yeah. A friend set yeah. up a GoFundMe and they bought me a really cute little $5,000 Corolla and I'm anon- anonymously driving around with no stickers on my car. Um, <laughs> I my kids how to drive in a car that I can do that in. And like the beauty, the deep beauty that we've discovered from really, really living by faith, really deeply mm. living by faith, wildly so has been phenomenal. I think what I've realized in this season of courage is, you know, and Chuck said it the other day, is like vulnerability takes courage. Like it takes courage to be this vulnerable with the creator of the universe who knows our needs before we confess them. Because like, sweetheart, the week before I resigned, I literally was praying and I was like, like what my counselor had said to me, you know, a year and a half before about my marriage, ask Holy Spirit for a word because then you can hold to it. Like you can cling to that thing for the rest of your life. And it was the week before and I was like, I was, I felt torn, but I knew what the right thing to do and it was terrifying and it was this conversation with God, like I'm this family's sole human provider. 
Mm. Like if I give up my salary, then what? And he was like, Bronwyn, why are you fighting for a place at that table? Come and take your place at my table. Mm. And when I took my place at that table, my kids came and took their place at that table. Mm. Oh, my yeah. kids had served this community of women for 14 years too, since they were aged one to five. Wow. Totally. We've had mass heartbreak, man, mass betrayal, mass grief. And we're slowly but surely coming out of the ashes and sensing new life and sensing new hope. And it's a deeper hope than I ever knew I had before. I see beauty in a deeper, more profound, more real way. I've, I've learned, you guys talked about it on the other podcast. I've learned my, I'm learning my belovedness Mm and I'm accepting it. I went away to a retreat a couple of weeks ago and, you know, I'm a journal at M and, you know, I was leaving and on the last morning it was like, okay, God, what do you want to say to me about this retreat? And, you know, the scene at the end of Lion Witch in the Wardrobe and they're all getting crowned. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, <laughs> I do mm-hmm. know that. <laughs> and I got to that and I remembered that and I saw this and I felt like he said, you are Bronwyn the Beloved. Oh, so good. And it was just like, this is changing my life. And, yes, yeah. I do believe there will come a time when there will be other people. You know, I've always imagined, like with Hope Foundation, that, yes, there will come a time when I, I share more parts of my story and I write more books and I do a blog and I do probably my own podcast, you know, get you guys on the receiving end of the interview. And <laughs> for me it's it's been I know there will be other people's freedom on the other side of this surrender journey. Yeah. There always but for is. the first time in my journey, I'm not surrendering for the sake of other people Mm. Mm. or other people's benefit. I'm surrendering for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's really courageous work, Bronwyn. And it is, it is, um, I would say, especially for the two, Mm. because I do know the Enneagram and I've worked with the Enneagram for the past four years and wow. For the two to be still and to be reflective and to think on um, their own needs, to be able to name their own needs, and that is courageous work. It's courageous work. I mean, it's like it's it's fully it's what will release you to be fully alive. Yeah. Well, even even your comment, I wrote way. it down because I'm probably gonna Instagram it out, but I won't <laughs> I won't steal it as mine because it's not. Do I fight <laughs> for my place or do I fight for me? I mean, your standard two is always fighting for his or her place. Yeah, and so it's it's contrary to fight for you. But I would say it's contrary for all of us. It's contrary mm. for an eight to fight for me. Mm. Yeah. So the interesting part is we're discussing this in the context of narcissism is that sometimes we think fighting for ourselves sounds really narcissistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't understand that that many times fighting for that place in an organization or in a partnership or in a friendship, in a relationship that's not healthy, um, fighting for a place is often kind of masked and disguised as fighting for others. But it's really about fighting for your ego. Right. And when we choose ourselves, we're actually choosing God. Mm. And we're choosing God to bless not just our lives, but to do the real work through us so that many others Mm. can be transformed, true transformation. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'm just interested and curious of how you see that dichotomy of fighting for a place or fighting for me. Because many would say, well, isn't fighting for me kind of narcissistic in and of itself? Like that sounds very private. It sounds really selfish. And even mm-hmm. when I say it, it's like, oh man, hold on. I remember that wrestle last October. 
<laughs> where I thought in a literal conversation out loud with creator of the universe, I, I choose me. And I believed he was leading me to that choice. And I, I, I had to believe it. I think I had to hold out hope for that. But when I wrote the email that let them know what my final decision was, and I literally said, I believe I came to a place where I had to either choose Hope Foundation or choose me and I choose me. I thought, how many people on the other end of this or, or, or the Hope Chicks that we'd served in community for 14 years are going to think, that's really selfish of Bron. Like, she's just gone. She just disappeared. She had an accident. Like we've been praying for her. Like we don't even know if she's going to get healed. Like some of them are my friends on Facebook, but some aren't like, where is she? That's so unlike her. Yeah. So unlike her. Right. And only the ones that have either found me on Facebook since or sent me messages or are already my friends on Facebook are able to see the journey now. And they're like, I'm so proud of you so proud of you. I'm so glad you did that. I'm so glad you did that for your family. I'm so glad you did that for yourself. Um, we've been praying for you and they're still believing for my healing and so am I. Um, but they're mm. just like, you know, you bump into them at the store and they're not angry at me um, mm. because my choice for me, as you said, Em, was my choice. It was to choose God. It was to trust God that he was going to not just love me, comfort me, heal me, provide for me and my family, but that my deconstructing was going to be holy. Mm. You know, oftentimes when we choose, um, when we're talking about, am I going to choose that place? Am I going to choose to stay in this place? It's oftentimes wrapped up in an ego identity or a shame identity. I only belong if I belong in this position. I only belong if I'm doing for someone else. I only belong if I have this role or have a career or have this relationship where I'm married to this powerful person. Um, so choosing the place is sometimes about protecting our ego, but choosing ourselves is, is actually choosing the way of service, mm. the way of healing, the way of wholeness. Um, I just love, I love that clarity. I think that you give to so many people who have spent their lives dreaming and doing, who've spent their lives like loving and serving and giving, and who may have been wounded along the way and may have like really toxic relationships or institutions, even spiritually abusive. I mean, if we're talking about like churches that are raking servants over the coals for outputs and outcomes, um, you don't have to do it anymore. No. And choosing to be whole and surrendered to God and to your own health is not narcissistic. Mm. It's not. It's, it is it is a surrendered way mm. that actually is emptying yourself out because you're not choosing ego identity. You're choosing beloved. Right. You're choosing to be the beloved. And how many times have we heard the story of Mary and Martha, you know, mm. and it's like, and Jesus said, but Mary chose the greater way. And I used mm. to think because I was doing stillness and I was having my quiet time or I was journaling or I was remember to soak, remembering to soak, <laughs> even if it was, I'd set an alarm for 10 p.m. to soak before I jump into bed. Like Mary chose the greater way. And so now I get to live a season of life and I don't know how long the season's going to be. Mm. But it's changed me. I'm, I'll never be the same again. And I'll, I'll never work yeah. for outputs again. I could never go back to key performance indicators or I couldn't, I, I couldn't. <laughs> and what I realise in this season is that I now am more uniquely me than I ever was before. Mm. I think my voice has gotten deeper. Um, my care for humans has gone deeper and wider. I've learned to... Um, I guess, dance with the nuance of heartache and wonder. Yeah. And I've learned to let things go with love and peace and not hold them to mm. myself or hold them in my body. Um, and, again, I had four, I have 45 years of life, full on, yeah. intense, 
super shitty roller coaster life. And if I'm going to heal at a cellular level, I'm in a, it's going to take time. I'm not in a hurry and I uh, just have to keep yeah. trusting. Yeah. Mm, that's beautiful. Tell us about the Truth Collective. Yeah. yeah. The Truth Collective is, um, so it was uh, January this year I was journaling and felt, um, I wrote down the words Truth Collective and I literally just wrote down um, community collection, collaboration, no real idea what it was and was just like, oh, I think I might start an online community. I needed to make sure that it was from a healthy place and that it was from a overflow, that it wasn't just going to be another thing to do or so that I could answer the question that everybody asks every human, hi, what do you do? <laughs> What's your name? What do you do? And I had just been saying, and I do say, hi, I'm from when I'm in a season of rest and recovery. And I didn't want to start a truth, the Truth Collective just so I could say, hi, I'm Bronwyn, I'm the founder of the Truth Collective, just so I could add it, you know. And yeah. so it was another couple of months later and I prayed about it, sat with it, and I just started a little online community on Facebook. It's just a private, I wanted to keep it sacred, so it's a private group people can, you know, just jump on and say they'd like to be a part of. But it's really posting words to make people think and help them not mm. be in a hurry and to help them live longer. And it might be something like, um, you know, fortify my heart. Okay, well, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? The words, peace, be still. What does that, what does that mm -hmm. say to you? And what does that say to you personally, not just my opinion? And so it's really just conversation starters. And then in the midst of that, I felt like I could see T-shirts. And I'm a seer, so I was like, oh, I can see T-shirts. Oh, I could make T-shirts. And then we bought some T-shirt equipment with Miracle Money that friends had given us and we now make our own T-shirts. So um, they've we're just about to launch a website in a couple of weeks, but um, they've already gone global. We've got friends in um, Chicago and California and London and I'm trying to get one to my beautiful friend in Africa and they won't let me open the borders. Oh, yeah. let me open the borders to send them, which is rude. Um, but... I think what I've realized through this COVID season, you know, globally, people have been invited into where, where a lot of people feel isolated. God spoke to me about just tell them it's an invitation to holy hibernation. Mm. And, and where so many people were so busy doing and serving that when you're at home, you can still function outside of home especially in this COVID season where people aren't allowed to leave the house in a lot of places. But who are you becoming in this season? Yeah. Who who are we becoming in this season? And who does God want to be for us in this season? I believe he wants to heal people at a deeper level. Mm -hmm. And so where yeah. a lot of people were before doing still and ticking boxes, they're learning the art of stillness. And so Truth Collective for me was just a, a, a place to have a voice and not even my voice, his voice, and invite people to find their own voices so people can order custom T-shirts. And, you know, it's beautiful having people get a revelation for themselves and then get it on a T-shirt. And I have a few tattoos on my forearm and most of them are from getting revelations and then tattooing them on my body. So my mom is really glad that I now make T-shirts with my revelations. She's like, good, because you're running out of forearm space. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, again, today I'm looking at myself on the camera wearing a T-shirt that says enough, full stop. Mm. I need mm -hmm. to remember that. You know, I've, I, yeah. I have a little wardrobe now. I've got one that says begin again. You know, yeah. I think for me, you can go to a Christian store and buy a T-shirt that says his mercy is new every day. And God bless those people that make those T-shirts. It's just not my thing. But any human on the face of the planet can wear a T-shirt that says begin again mm -hmm. and own the depth of what that means every day. Mm. Every day is another chance mm -hmm. to begin again. And I feel like I'm in a season of that. Mm. Well, you know, I think for our listeners who have never heard your voice before and may not be familiar with your story and with who you are, we just, I just want to say on behalf of, of all of our listeners, thank you for being so vulnerable, so courageous, so transparent to take us into some really deep waters. I mean, I think if you're listening to this, it's, it's obvious that, um, Bronwyn has held on to the person of Jesus, to the very tangible um, person of, of spirit, but is not um, really interested in 
religious boxes. <clears throat> and that is a beautiful gift to and us what else, right now. Uh, what for else those is a beautiful us, yeah. gift is your mastery of the English language and the fact that you can make sentences. I'm sitting here going, you just pulled that sentence out of the air and it's just poetic. And then you slap a little Australian <laughs> on top of that and it's like angels are singing and let's pass the offering plate. I mean, it's just... Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Your life is, um, yeah, you see life and you are a romantic in the most wonderful of ways, in the most beautiful ways that reminds us we were made to dance and we were made to live in this life, not to grind our way through it, but to embrace the beauty of it. Um, and you are a seer. You, you see beauty, you see pain, you see all of it, and you hold that tension in that space of how do we, how do these two dance together? So, Bronwyn, thank you for your courage, for walking us through how abuse, narcissism, rejection, betrayal, and being empathetic, empathetic, um, and an empath all work together. Thank you for having me, for seeing me, for hearing me, for trusting me, for asking me and inviting me into this conversation. It's, It's a necessary conversation, and I'm glad that I could be a voice. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. Yes. Because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info. And visit the website at JesusSaidLove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.